Hi, my name's Paul Grogan, and welcome to episode 44 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the Games of the Month video log for April 2023. Huge thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for funding the channel, and if you like the content that I create and you want to support me, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Word of warning, this is a long show, a lot of games to talk about, and some important updates at the end. Now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Paul Grogan, and welcome to my Games of the Month video log for April 2023. I'm actually recording this at the start of May, because I got delayed from last week, uh, but it's going to cover pretty much everything that I've done in April. First of all, as always, I'm going to talk about all of the games that I've been playing. Now, this is, this is since the last video log, which is from the actually the 27th of March, because I did the last video log in the last week of March. So all of the games that I've played from the 27th of March right through to the end of April. I have played a few games already in May, but I'm going to cover those in May's video log. Um, as always, a big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for funding the channel. Uh, these videos are not sponsored in any way, and all of the advertising revenue goes to charity. So the only way I'm able to do that is with the support of the Patreon campaign. So yeah, a huge thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making these videos possible. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support the channel, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Now, before we start, I have to issue two very big apologies. The first one is... I actually missed off the Patreon update in last month's video log. I did all of the filming, did all of the editing, and it was only just before I made the video live that I went, wait a minute, I didn't do the Patreon update. So if you were a Patreon supporter that joined in that month, then I'm going to give you a shout out later on. The second apology is a really big one, and I feel really, really bad about this, but I have to apologize to Mr. Odin, um, because in last month, uh, well, no, not in last month, in the month before, I played Feast for Odin, and forgot to talk about it in last month's video log. So before we dive into all of the games that I've played in April, let's talk about Feast for Odin. Um, we did a playthrough video on the channel of Feast for Odin with the Norwegians expansion on the 17th of March. So, so long ago now, I've almost forgotten it, but the video is on the channel now if you want to go and watch it. And Feast for Odin is... It's either a top 10 game for me, or it's very, very close to a top 10 game for me. I would probably say... It is a top 10 game for me. I think it's probably my favourite Uwe Rosenberg game. Yeah, let's go with that. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is my favourite Uwe Rosenberg game by quite a mile. Now, bearing in mind, I don't own Fields of Isle. I have played it a few times and I really enjoyed it. But Feast for Odin, I think, is the pinnacle. And Norwegians makes it a better game. Um, love the game. I, I, can't, I can't go on about this game enough. I absolutely love it. It's probably a 9, 9.5 out of 10 for me. Uh, just just utterly fantastic. Now, what was interesting is that playthrough that we did on the 17th of March, we did a round the table discussion at the end of it. So if you're interested in rather than just seeing the playthrough uh, and in listening to the thoughts of us at the table, head on over to YouTube, find the video on my channel and skip to the end because we do do a round the table summary of it. Four of us played it uh, and a bit of a spoiler, but all four of us, it is in all of our favourite games. So yeah, we, we it was it was a good selection of players for the game uh, in that not only we were all happy to play it, but yeah, we're all massive fans of the game. So there we go. There's the apologies out of the way. Right, let's dive into the details of all of the games that I've been playing. Now, as always, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about all of the games that I've been playing uh, with other people at the table or solo playthroughs in real time, basically. Not any games that I've covered on online gaming platforms such as Board Game Arena or anything like that, unless it's maybe a real-time game. I'll cover them at the end, but I'm just going to go through all of the games 
first that you know normal games played with other people or solo you know what i mean so going back a while now but at the very end of march uh i played the glade now the glade is richard breeze's new creation and i played it a few times i played it on the 28th when emily came over and we did a practice game um uh, because on the 31st i was doing the video that's going to be used for the upcoming kickstarter now unfortunately the kickstarter has been delayed a bit a little bit i don't think richard's got it out there yet as soon as he does i'll put a description in the uh i'll put a link in the description of this video uh to the kickstarter i think it's supposed to be going live very soon um, now, The Glade, as I say, is Richard Breeze's new game, but it's very different. So if you are expecting the standard Richard Breeze key style of games, it, it's not that. And there's a reason why he's not given it a key name like a lot of his other ones, in that it does play very differently. Um, it's more of an abstract game. Um, it's based on older classic games, for example, uh, Rumikub and Scrabble and things like that. And it's a tile placement game where you're drawing tiles out of a bag putting them on your racks. Uh, they are animals of the forest, fruits of the forest, and you're trying to create sets of them on your, on your player board. Um, it's quite interesting. It's very clever in the way that it works. And as I said, the Kickstarter is going to be going live at some point. So that video is there to teach you how to play the game uh, and also show you how it plays. So yeah, so I got three games of that in that week. Then... Uh, I played Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition with the Crisis module. So Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, which is the card game version of Terraforming Mars, has had three expansions which have come out recently. Uh, I have those three expansions. Thank you very much to Stronghold Games for sending me those, or Indie Game Studios as it, as it is. Um, but the Crisis uh, expansion, that's the first one that I got. On the Friday, in between our games of the Glade, we played uh, a game of Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition with the Crisis expansion. I say we played it, we actually didn't get a chance to finish it, uh, which was a shame, but it was good to get it out there uh, and go through the mechanisms of it, and yeah. Now, I also played Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition with the Crisis expansion on the 2nd of April at a games day. And again, we didn't finish. So that's two games that I've had of Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition with the Crisis expansion. Neither of them have been finished. Now, I may be playing it this week. <laughs> My Patreon supporters are currently voting on what game we're going to be playing this Thursday, uh, and that is currently tied with Flamme Rouge, so it might get played this week. Even though I have two unplayed games of it, I can give you my opinion on it, and I absolutely love it. So I was a little lukewarm on Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, which is effectively, for those people who don't know, there is an older game called Race for the Galaxy. Uh, and Race for the Galaxy is an absolute solid staple game classic, if I can call it a classic. Uh, it's very big, very popular, um, and basically the, the core mechanisms of Race for the Galaxy have been adopted into Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. They, they made no secret of it. Uh, it is basically a copy of the mechanisms of that but with the Terraforming Mars theme. So I'm going to upset people by saying the thing that I'm about to say, so be prepared for this, is I can't see me ever playing Race for the Galaxy again. Now, I respect Race for the Galaxy. Uh, I enjoy playing Race for the Galaxy, but it is a whole boatload of icons. But I like the Terraforming Mars theme, and because Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, I'll just call it Ares Expedition from now, because Ares Expedition is effectively the Race for the Galaxy card game, but with the Terraforming Mars theme, I would always want to play that one. That's the one I would always want to play. 
And I know there are some purists out there who go, oh no, race for the galaxy for or die forever, you know, whatever. Um, and, and that's fine. And I, and I can see that race for the galaxy probably plays a bit quicker. I can't quite remember. It's been a while since I've played it. Um, but anyway, Ares Expedition with the crisis mode. So I've had two unfinished games of it. And so far, I absolutely love what it's doing with the game. And it's a really interesting twist. So instead of terraforming Mars... Mars starts off already fully terraformed. Everything's done, we're all living there, and everything's great. However, things start to go wrong. All of the disasters start to happen, these various crises, uh, and the parameters will drop. So your oxygen levels will drop, uh, the lakes will dry out, and what's the other thing? Oxygen, temperature. Temperature will start to drop as well. So all of these things are going to be happening during the game, and they, those parameters are going to be going down. And you've got to get them all back up to the max by the end of the game. And that you are on a timer. There's a deck of cards. And when the cards run out, that's the end of the game. And you've got to get all of the parameters back up. So effectively, what you're doing in the game is you're doing exactly the same thing as you do in the normal game. In other words, you start off with no tableau, no engine. But you're going to be playing cards that will allow you to increase those parameters. And whilst you won't be using those cards at the start of the game, very soon those parameters start to drop. And your objective is to try and keep them up. And, and it just works really well. Um, so, yeah, that's Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition with the Crisis expansion. Have you played it? What do you think? And also, have you played any of the other expansions yet? Because the other two expansions have arrived, which was Foundations and Discoveries, I think. I've not played either of those yet. I've unpacked them, put them in the main box, not done anything with them. Let me know if you've played it. Let me know what you think. Right, moving on. That game's day on the 2nd of April, I also played a game of Hegemony, or Hegemony, however you want to pronounce it. The designers have asked me to call it Hegemony, which I think is the it's more the American pronunciation of the word, uh, whereas Hegemony is the is the British pronunciation of the word. Um, so I played another game of it. It was another five-hour game. There was two new players, although one was uh, Sally had done a bit of preparation. Uh, Peter hadn't, so it was a it was a it was pretty much a new game for Peter. And five hours is about the time that you would take to play that game. I am curious to know if anybody now has played Hegemony uh, with people who've already played it, four players. I think you can get it done in probably three and a half to four hours. But you all need to know what you're doing. Now, I've played Hegemony since then, so I'm now going to talk a little bit about Hegemony. As those of you who follow my channel will know, I did a sponsored playthrough of this a couple of months ago to tie in when the game was, was available. Um, I have announced... Putting aside the fact that I did that sponsored playthrough, it is my current game of the year. And things are going to have to change quite a bit uh, for it to be knocked off the spot. It's because it's a very special game. It's unique in my collection. It does something very different. And I have huge respect for the amount of time and effort that's gone into the design of the game. But also, even though it's long and even though it's quite heavy and there's a lot of fiddly complex rules, quite often you will forget those rules. In fact, I think it's been three or four games before I've actually played a game correctly. Uh, just because, I mean, the rulebook's good. It's, it's not because the rulebook isn't good. It's just there's a lot of little bits that you will miss in your first few plays. Um, there is something very special about the game. And every time I play it, the experience of playing it is fantastic. It's just such an enjoyable experience with the asymmetric way that the players interact with each other uh, and the table talk and everything like that. And yeah, it's one of the few games in my collection where I actually enjoy that sort of interaction between the players, but it's all done within the mechanisms of the game. There's no lying, bluffing, backstabbing, or anything like that. And any any games with that in, I just don't enjoy playing whatsoever. And this game doesn't have that. 
all of the interaction is like, oh, well, you might vote for something which is against what I want, but that's because they want it. So there is, if you're worried about a game where you're stabbing each other in the back and doing all of this political lying or bluffing or diplomacy or negotiating, it's, it's not that really. Um, there isn't really an element of that in it. It's all done within the game mechanisms. So yeah, Hegemony, my current favourite game of 2023. And this is my next question for you. If you are watching this video and you have a current favourite game of this year, I'm curious to know what it is in the chat. Just leave me a comment in the description of the video uh, and let me know what your current favourite game of the year is. Right, next up. Uh, on the 4th of April, and this is on the channel now, this was a live playthrough of a game called Terminus. Terminus is, well, it was on Kickstarter. I don't know if it is still on Kickstarter right now, but this is the latest game from Inside Up Games that have recently brought us Earth, massively popular. So Terminus has a lot of eyes on it because um, same publisher as Earth. But it's a completely different game. And this is this is one of the odd things with the board game industries, uh, with the board game industry, is that people go, oh, well, that's from the people who made Earth. So therefore it must be good. There's no no relation whatsoever. It's the same publisher, okay? So you're going to get the same quality of production and the same care to attention to detail, but the game is, is completely different. And I think a lot of people go, oh, well, it's from such and such a company, therefore it must be good. And sometimes, I guess, with some publishers, that can be the case, but Inside Up Games do a quite a wide variety of games. Anyway, I'm not saying it isn't good, um, it's just very, very different from Earth. So what I did on that day is Inside Up Games wanted me to do a proper, uh, you know, tutorial and playthrough with friends around the table and everything else. Unfortunately, due to my workload at the time, I wasn't able to fit that in, which was a real shame because when they, when they sent me all of the bump about the game and I looked into it, the game looked exactly like my kind of game. So I was disappointed that I wasn't going to be able to do one of those videos, but I still wanted to provide some coverage for it, and I still wanted to see it myself. So what we arranged is we did a playthrough on Tabletop Simulator with both of the designers. Uh, so it was me, uh, Edward, one of my friends, and patron supporters, and both of the designers. And what we did is we spent a couple of hours and we did one of these sort of learn-as-you-go games. Now, a few people have left me a comment in the video to say they absolutely hated this style. It was completely pointless. Why did you bother doing it? That's fine. But a lot of people do enjoy that style, including myself. So it's a two-hour video. Uh, and in that video, one of the designers actually talks us through the game. We don't have a full teach beforehand because I didn't want that. Uh, we start playing within 10 minutes and we get the rules fed to us gradually as we go. In fact, for a game like that, where the central mechanism is that you're moving a, a marker around this sort of board and then you do the action where you land, the rolling teach was a perfect idea because the other designer went first and said, I'm going to go here. Right, now let's explain how that action works. And then his next turn, he went, I'm now going to go here. Let's explain how that action works. So actually, for that game, the rolling teach method, I think, worked really well. But I know some people didn't like it. That's fine. They don't have to watch the video, but I thought it worked well. So Terminus, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I have agreed that I'm going to be doing the official how to play video for the game, uh, which is going to be coming out sometime in 2024. I think Q1 2024 is what they'd earmarked for it. But you know how these things work. Um, there's all, usually all sorts of delays and things like that. I think most of the problems for all delays in Kickstarters are past us now. It depends on the publisher. And Inside Up games are pretty good at, you know, managing to get it out there when they think they're going to be able to get it out there. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed that play of it, even though we only played one round out of three. I think we only played one round, maybe one and a half rounds. But I certainly got a good impression of the game and definitely looking forward to playing the final version. 
Next up, on the 5th of April, I did a solo playthrough of Dune Imperium. And in fact, on the 4th of April, I did a practice game of Dune Imperium using Tabletop Simulator, because there is a mod for Dune Imperium on Tabletop Simulator, which is really good. Um, and I needed to get it played, and I didn't have time to set everything up, so I just I just used Tabletop Simulator on the 4th, and then I did the solo playthrough on the 5th. And if you're interested, that is on the channel. This is not a sponsored video. Uh, Direwolf Digital sent me a review copy of the game, so thank you very much to them for, for that. Um, but I wasn't paid anything to do that uh, video. Um, and yeah, I wanted to play the solo mode because I've heard good things about it. Um, now, Dune Imperium, let, let's just get this out there. I'm very late to the party with Dune Imperium. When it came out, there was so much hype about it. There was so much love for the game. And there still is. It isn't just one of those games where it was overly hyped and then disappeared, like a lot of games. Um, that love for Dune Imperium has stayed ever since it came out. And I know a few people who it's their number one game of all time. And for most people I know, it's in their top 10 games of all time. It's an absolutely fantastic game. And I was very late to the party with it. However, I've been catching up and I've been playing it quite a bit recently. In fact, solo game there, solo game there, solo game there, um, multiplayer game there. Yeah, I've played it, I think, five times in the last month, something like that. Um, so let, let's just talk about Dune Imperium now as a whole. Is it a top 10 game for me? Almost. I, I think it's probably a top 20, 25 game for me. Um, I do love it. I think it is fantastic. And I will never say no to a game of it. The common um, criticism, criticism is probably the wrong word. But although, no, it's fair criticism. There are some people who don't play it because of the intrigue cards. Uh, and, I, and I get that. The intrigue cards can be a little bit swingy. So if you're looking for a pure Euro game experience where everything is mapped out and you do this and you do that and you move cubes off a track and everything else, then there is a part of the game where in conflict you reveal secret intrigue cards and it might adjust the strength of the combat. For me, that is perfectly fine. It's part of the game. It adds to the excitement of the game and I have no problems with it whatsoever. Uh, but I can see how some people don't like that in the game. Um, it fits. It's very thematic. Uh, yeah, absolutely love the game. Now, let's talk about the solo game. I think the solo game is exceptionally well done. Now, I do use the card does come. The, the game does come with this uh, deck of cards, which is the House Hagal cards. But Direwolf Digital have an app which you can download for your iPad or the PC. I think it's on Steam or something, uh, which basically does the AI for you. Now, I say does the AI for you. It draws a card and tells you the results of that card. You don't need the app at all to play. You could just use the physical cards. Uh, and once you know what those icons mean, then you're absolutely fine. But the physical game doesn't come with two cards that churn the card row. I don't think they do, because I don't, I don't have them, and I have all of the expansions for it. But what they've done is they have basically taken on board some feedback about the solo mode in that the card offer doesn't change enough. So what the app has is it has these extra two cards in the deck where two of the cards from the offer get discarded and then refilled. And it just means that the offer is cycling a bit more. And it's a really, really good thing. And if you're going to play the game solo with the cards, then you need to create some proxy cards for those two things, I think. Um, because the app is available for various devices, I can't see me ever not using it. And I know some people don't like apps in games, but strongly recommend 
using using it or at least getting some proxy cards. If you are a June Imperium solo player and you don't use the app, what have you done? I'm curious. I'm curious to know what you've done. Have you created a couple of proxy cards? Or do you not do that? Do you do you don't do you not churn the card offer? Because yeah, I think it makes it a lot better. So yeah, June Imperium, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I've had some really good games of it in the last month. In fact, um, yeah, so one of the games that I'll talk about uh, was my game of June Imperium at Bacon. And it was a fantastic game, and it went right down to the wire. And I just pipped the win at the end because something happened that I don't think will ever, ever happen again. And this was an absolute, complete and utter fluke. So the end of the game had been triggered, and Matt was about to win. I think Matt was on like 11 or 12 points or something like that. And in the final conflict, I came second. And the second place reward for that final conflict was an intrigue card. And I said, well, what's the point of drawing an intrigue card, you know, at the very, very end of the game. There's no point. And Matt said, well, some of the cards are end game scoring cards. And I was like, oh, right, okay. So there, were, there, there we were, the game was effectively over. Matt, Matt had won, he got the most victory points. I got my second place reward of an intrigue card from the deck. What was it? It was an end of game scoring card that was absolutely perfect for me. And it gave me two victory points. Now, there is only that one card in the deck that gave me the two victory points because it was something like gain a victory point if you've got at least three um, uh, the Spice Must Flow cards or something like that. And then gain another point if you've got the most. Well, I had three of them and I had the most. So it was literally a two-point card and it was the only one in the deck. It was an absolute fluke. And I said to Matt, look, I feel bad. You know, you, you can have the win. <laughs> technically I got it but yeah it was such a great game and just recently I've had a games weekend and we played an epic game of June Imperium I say an epic game it wasn't an epic game because the epic game of June Imperium is actually an official variant where you play the epic game so it wasn't technically an epic game but it was brilliant really really good game um fairly close right up to the end except for me I wasn't doing very well I was a couple of points behind but yeah it was it was a really good game so yeah June Imperium I mean, for me to say it's in my top 20 games, that that for some people, because I have a lot of games, that for some people that's in their top five. It is really good. It is well deserving of a top 10 spot. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'll have to go back and I'll have to rate my entire collection again. Uh, we took about 12 hours last time, so maybe not. Right, anyway, next up. Yes, yeah, so on the 6th of April... Uh, I did a bonus playthrough for Patreon supporters. So on the 5th of April, there is, and this is on the channel, if you want to go and watch it, it's me playing the solo mode of Dune Imperium. Then on the morning of the 6th of April, I took some time off work and I did another uh, another solo playthrough, but this was for Patreon supporters only. So if you're a Patreon supporter of mine, you do get access to a lot of extra bonus content. Um, and yeah, that was an extra playthrough that I posted there. Then later in that day, I played Mindbug. Now, this was another game where the designer came online and we did a live playthrough uh, and we played Mindbug. Now, Mindbug is a very simple little card game that is quite special and is quite unique. Um, it was on Kickstarter, I think, a year or two ago and it funded, but they're releasing a couple of expansions for it. Uh, and the designer contacted me and wanted me to cover it on the channel. So I said yes, because I like the game. Uh, and what we did is we actually played a couple of games of it using um, a website, it's kind of like an app, 
that they they are creating. It's in beta testing at the moment, but they are creating an app. And because there were no physical cards from the expansion, he said, look, Paul, we're going to have to use this app to play the game. And I said, that's absolutely fine with me. Um, so if you're interested in Mindbug, uh, check out that video. It was live on my channel on the 6th of April. Uh, and it's a very simple two-player game that streamlines everything that Magic the Gathering is into a 10-15 minute experience, uh, which is not collectible in any way. So the physical game, you buy this really small pack of cards, and what you do at the start of each game is you shuffle that pack of cards, shuffle the deck of cards, deal each player 10 from that deck, and then that's it. You put the rest of the deck to the side. And each player, it's a two-player dueling game, you play with those 10 cards that you've been dealt. Uh, and it, it's just really good. Um, now, the twist in the game, and if you don't know anything about it, the reason why it's called Mindbug, and the reason why it works so well, is each player has two Mindbugs. And very, very simple. This is an absolute genius idea that is so simple. But twice in the game, when your opponent plays a card, you can say, nope, that's my card. And you take it off them and you play it as well. So this... this brings into play two big things. First of all, what happens if in that random shuffle of 10 cards, your opponent has randomly got 10 great cards that work well together and you've got a pile of rubbish, okay? Well, that's where the mind bugs come in because basically if your opponent has a superpower card, well, you, you're going to mind bug it. You're going to take it off them. You're going to use it themselves. But it also introduces this element of extra decision making. Which do I mind bug? Do I mind bug early? And there's a little bit of bluffing with, oh, I'm going to put this out because I kind of want them to mind bug it so that I can do this one later. <clears throat> and when a player is out of mind bugs, when they've used their two mind bugs, that's great because you then go, right, these are now my cards. I can do something with them. But it's a great little card game. I really enjoy it. And we're actually planning on running a Mindbug tournament at GridCon in November, if you're interested in that. If you're coming to GridCon and you're interested in Mindbug, let me know because we're going to be doing, uh, we're planning to do a little mini tournament. Right, so that's Mindbug. Then in the evening of the 6th of April, I went to the Cranbrook Games Club and I played two games that evening. The first one was... Aura et Labora. Now, Aura et Labora is an Uwe Rosenberg game that I think is absolutely fantastic. There's something about the game which I just love. And I'm using those words, and I'm probably making it sound like I don't know why I love it. There's something about it. I don't quite... No, no I know exactly why I love it. It's just the way that the entire game is, is put together, and it's resource conversion. So Aura et Labora is one of those games where you are acquiring these cards and these cards, what do these cards do? Oh, well, this card allows you to convert these resources into these resources. Uh, and that's not just that. There's a lot more going on about it. But I love Aura et Labora. It might even be my second favourite Uwe Rosenberg game after Feast for Odin. I love it that much. It may well be. I mean, I love Caverna. And there's a lot of other a lot of other games of his that I really enjoy, but Aura et Labora might be my second favourite game. Um, anyway, Mark, local friend of mine, recently bought it because I kept saying how good it was, and he wanted me to teach him how to play. So we played a three-player game of Aura et Labora that evening, and it was fantastic. Again, <laughs> what can I say about it? It's just great. Now, one thing that strikes me as unusual about Aura et Labora, considering how much I love it, is... Games these days tend to have a lot of variability. And that variability is fantastic because it means every game is different. 
So in this game, we're going to have a setup where this is there, that's there, and this is there, and this is the scoring tile, but you've got this power, and then there's this. Oh, right, okay. So this game is now very different from the last game because, oh, I'm going to have to approach it a different way. There's loads of games like that these days. And I love those games, and I like a lot of variability. Aura et Labora has literally zero variability. None whatsoever. It has a fixed number of cards that come out at a fixed time. There is no variability in the game whatsoever. And yet, it works. It works brilliantly. I guess the variability, and it's not really variability within the game itself, but players will buy different things and players will do different things, and it is a different experience each time you play it. But there is absolutely no variability in the game. Um, and it might be one of the few games in my collection where there is zero variability. I mean, there's a few games I've got with low variability, like Kalos, that has the initial placement of the buildings on the row, but after that, there is nothing variable about it. But this one has nothing. Unless it has and I've missed it. I don't I don't think I'm missing it. Um, let me know what you think about Aura et Labora. I know that I'm a bit of a fanboy for it, and I know not everybody likes it, but I am curious to know if there are other people out there who love it as much as I do. Uh, and if you're interested, that wasn't covered on the channel, but I have done a playthrough of it on the channel going back a few years with Dan. I did a two-player playthrough of it with Dan a few years ago. Right, also that evening, I played Cat in the Box. Now, I think I've talked about Cat in the Box last month. I think I did, because uh, this was my second play of it. Um, and it, it's still an utterly fantastic game, and I absolutely love it. And yeah, so yeah, Cat in the Box, if you want to know my full thoughts on it, Check out last month's video log because I talk about it then. But really, really clever game. And yeah, very happy to always play that one. Uh, it's got a good mixture of... I kind of feel like I'm in a bit of control, but actually sometimes it goes wrong. But when it goes wrong, it's still fun. Next up, on the 7th of April, we continued and finished our coverage of Harakiri Blades of Honor. So Harakiri Blades of Honor is a big box, epic style four-player uh, fantasy-stroke Japanese feudal cooperative adventure game uh, in the same light as Oathsworn is probably the thing that it's compared to the most because each sort of chapter of Harakiri has one part where you're traveling around a map and doing missions and exploring things and then a second part which is more like a tactical uh, combat style game. Um, and I was asked by the publisher to do some videos on it to basically show people the game and teach them how to play and show how it plays. We did part one the previous month and part two was on the 7th of April. So if you're interested in checking that out, uh, the reason why they asked me to do the video at this time, even though the crowdfunding campaign for it had finished, is because the pledge manager was open. And the pledge manager, I believe, is open until the 5th or the 6th of May. Uh, so this is pretty much your last chance to get the game if you're interested in it. Uh, now, these were sponsored videos, so take that into account, but you know me, if, if you are a follower of mine, you will know that I'm able to separate my professional involvement with my honest opinion on the game, and I will now give you my honest opinion on the game Harakiri Blades of Honor. I preferred it to Oathsworn. Now, that might shock a lot of people, because Oathsworn was a massive game that lots of people were putting as the best game of last year, and it's been winning awards. Don't get me wrong, I think Oathsworn is a good game. I think Harakiri is better. Um, and I think it's better for a number of reasons which would suit me personally, uh, and I know other people might not. So first of all, let's talk about the second part of each chapter, which 
which is the tactical combat game. In Oathsworn, it's always the same map and it's basically a fight. There isn't much uh, narrative evolving in that fight. It's basically, it's a boss fight. Nothing wrong with that. But in Harakiri, it's an actual adventure with lots of narrative and lots of story. You're not just moving figures on a map and beating things up. You are actually interacting with things which tell you to read a page of a book. There's a whole big evolving story. It's not always the same map. You've got these little modular floor plans that you put down a little bit like Gloomhaven. Um, but there's a huge amount of narrative and story uh, in the actual fighting part of the game. Also, the first part of the game where you're traveling around the map and doing missions, it's really good. There's so much uh, theme and there's so much detail in this game uh, and so much narrative immersion. I just found the whole thing to be, you know, again, I can't wait for this game to come out. And it's not going to be coming out probably until next year. Um, it's going to be coming out then and I, I can't wait to get it. This is this is going higher on my list uh, than certain other games. Mechanisms wise, I enjoyed the mechanisms. It does have a dice for combat mechanism, but it's clever in the way that it works and you get a black and a white dice together and you get a karma ability. There's lots of great things about this game that work really well. Now, the thing that concerns me about the game, and I'm going to say that it's a concern of mine at the moment, but rest assured, I have been speaking to the publisher about this, and even only in the last few days, I have been putting the publisher in contact uh, with people who can help them with the editing of the rulebook uh, and the editing of the card texts. Um, because that's unfortunately, that's not something that I do anymore. If I did, I would be all over it. Because... I did a lot of work on Oathsworn. I rewrote the rulebook for it and I did a lot of work on that. I did Euthea. I've done Frostpunk. I've done ISS Vanguard. I've done some big games. And if I still worked in that particular part of the hobby as a rulebook writer and editor, this is a game that I would be working on. I would be absolutely wanting to work on this game because I would want the best for it. I don't do that anymore. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to help them a little bit here and there, but they need somebody more involved. And... As I mentioned, even just a few days ago, I think they've managed to secure somebody who I'm confident is going to do a good job with it. Um, because the, the prototype that we got, to be fair to them, it hadn't been through an English editor at that point. So whilst the narrative was really good and the narrative was really re well written, there were a few rules, qu queries that we had uh, about how certain cards work. So I fed that back to them and they've said, yep, yeah, that's our number one priority. You know, once we've finished designing the game, which is pretty much done, is actually working on that. I'm really excited about it. If you can't tell, I am really excited about it. Um, as I say, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my games of it, and it is it is one of the campaigns that I I really am looking forward to because the just the stories and the narrative experience that it that it brings, uh, I think is going to be fantastic. Right, next up, Whew, I've got so much to talk about. We're going to be here for hours today. Easter. It was Easter weekend and I went to Vicky's uh, parents. We had a family gathering uh, there where we did various uh, family related activities. I did get some games played. The first game that I played, and I played this a couple of times, and this was Dungeon Scrawlers. Now, I think I might have talked about this before on the channel. This is a really fun uh, real time game where you draw on a board uh, with a pen. Um, and basically, each player gets a dungeon. Everybody gets the same dungeon. There's 10 dungeons included in the game. Everybody gets the same dungeon. 
uh, and you explain the rules for the dungeon and then you say go and everybody has to draw a line through the dungeon fighting monsters collecting treasure getting keys open doors fight the boss until somebody defeats the boss and says done and then everybody stops and then you add up the points and it's just a lot of fun um and each each particular dungeon probably takes about three minutes to play maybe two three minutes to play so you're looking at five or six minutes for a dungeon once you've um, once you've explained the rules and everything else and you can play as many dungeons as you want to be honest the, the rule book says you're supposed to play three you either do one two three four five six or seven eight nine but actually we just played dungeon one do you want to play again yeah we played dungeon two what do you want to do now somebody new joined okay let's play dungeon one again oh should we play dungeon five yeah let's play dungeon five you can use whichever ones you want they do get progressively more complex in terms of the rules that you need to explain but yeah really enjoy dungeon scrollers and for a quick game yeah, it's really good. And then we did the traditional just one. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about just one because I talk about this every month. It, it will be my most played game this year. It is absolutely fantastic and always thoroughly enjoyable. So yeah, we played we played just one. I do have a story about just one that I will tell you later on though. Next up, on the 10th, uh, me and Vicky played one of the exit games. Uh, we played the Exit, the Lord of the Rings games. What was it? Shadows in Mordor or something like that? Or Shadows in Middle-earth? I can't remember. But it's one of the Exit games. I think it came out last year. Uh, we're both Lord of the Rings fans. And we're both fans of the Exit games. Although, and I think I've mentioned this a couple of times, we've been getting a little bit... The Exit games have been getting a little bit repetitive for us. And anything that is difficulty one or two we're finding not much of a challenge. Um, there are more difficult ones out there, but the exit games all follow the same formula. It's 10 puzzles. Every The answer to every puzzle is a three-digit code. Off you go. And they are limited with, with what stuff they can do compared to, say, the Unlock series of games, which are fresh and different every time. They're not always the same. Um, so we are getting a little bit jaded with the exit games and we're not playing... We're not enjoying them as much as we used to. Um, but the Lord of the Rings one I was really looking forward to because it's Lord of the Rings and I wanted to see what they did. So the good points and the bad points about it. First of all, the bad points about it, it was difficulty two. What that means is 75% of the puzzles in the game, me and Vicky sort of already worked out what the answer would be. Well, oh, okay. So half of the puzzles in the game were not even a challenge. We kind of went, oh, well, it's that, that and that. Yeah. Okay. Done. Um, the other quarter of the puzzles, we kind of knew what we were supposed to do, but then we actually had to do it, which is still enjoyable. Uh, and then there's always one or two puzzles that where the answer is just really obscure. And this is a little bit of a frustrating thing with the exit games. And I, I am curious to know if you find the same, even on the ones that are difficulty, you know, one or two, there's always one or two puzzles where you, the answer, when you find the answer, you're like, really, that's really hard. Or it's just really, really obscure. However, the good point about it is I felt it was extremely thematic. Now, as I say, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, so I know lots and lots about Lord of the Rings, and I was really impressed by the way that the designers had um, moved the Lord of the Rings stories into a game. It wasn't just a pasted-on theme. They actually worked really well. In one of them, you're lighting the beacons on the mountains, for example, you know, and things like that. There's loads and loads of stuff about it that was all very, very thematic. So yeah, props for that. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I would recommend the Exit Lord of the Rings game, definitely. Right, 
Next up, on the 11th of April, and I think this is on the channel now. I don't think this was a Patreon-only stream, but it might have been. I can't quite remember. But I played Terraforming Mars using the digital version of the game with the Hellas map. So I'm a huge fan of Terraforming Mars. Um, again, a, a little bit like Junior Imperium. I was a little late to the Terraforming Mars party, but now I am fully on board and I can absolutely respect the game for being just an, an amazing game that is still going to be played in 10, 20, 30 years' time. Um, and the digital version is amazing. Now, when it first came out, the digital version was full of bugs. The multiplayer didn't work and it was awful. But now it is very, very polished. And it has the Prelude expansion and it has the Hellas and Elysium map. So it's on the channel now if you're interested. But I did... Well, I think it's on the channel. Um, <laughs> I did a playthrough of it using the digital version and using the Hellas map. And what a game. I don't want to spoil it, but even if you don't want to watch the whole video, go and check out the video, go to the end of the game, and just check out the final scoring. Because, yeah. And then, yeah, there was a comment left afterwards that said, oh, Paul, if you'd have just done this, you'd have got one more point. Oh, anyway, it was a very, very close game. Let me just say that. So yes, that was that was excellent, and I, I love terraforming Mars, and I can't I can't get enough of it, really can't. So the thirteenth of April, I went to Bacon. Bacon is a convention which is local to me. It is the same distance away from me as Gridcon. Gridcon is the convention that me and Vicky run together in November, and that's twenty minutes up the road. Bacon is twenty minutes down the road, so it's not a residential convention for me because I live close, um, and I've been going to it for over ten years, and it's a really nice friendly conventions, about 150, 200 people. It's very relaxed. Uh, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but there's hardly any organisation in terms of there isn't really a website, you don't buy tickets in advance, there's no registration desk, there's no games library, there's nothing like that. It is just literally people in rooms playing games. And it's a very friendly atmosphere. And all the people that have been going to Bacon have been going to Bacon for forever. Um, it's been running for like 35 years now, I think. Anyway, I go to Bacon every year and I go there the Thursday, Friday and Saturday uh, and I play lots of games. Now, Bacon for me was slightly different this year in that each morning I was running demos of Earth. So Inside Up Games asked me to, well, I offered and they said yes. Uh, and because Earth is a good game and I wanted more people to, to see it, uh, I ran some demos of Earth. So each day for the first three hours, I ran a couple of demos of Earth. So I ran six games of Earth while I was there. Thank you very much if you are one of the people that, that joined in one of those games. Uh, but then the games that I played myself, War of the Three Sanchos was a game that I played. Now, I'll be talking about this more uh, next month. So I'm not going to cover it much now, other than to say that I played a prototype copy of War of the Three Sanchos, which is a new game in the Pocket series of war games coming from Surprise Stair Games. It's going to be going on Kickstarter, I believe, later this month. I think later this month, uh, and I am going to be covering it on the channel. But what I will tell you in that range of games, which was Cousins War, uh, the Ming Voyages and March of Progress. It's the fourth one in the series. It's a three player game. Well, you, you can play it one, two or three player. It's my favourite one of the three uh, of the four. Definitely my favourite one of the four. Find out more later. Also, what else did I play at Bacon? I played Rebuilding Seattle. 
because uh, a bunch of my patron supporters uh, had heard me talking about it and had seen me playing it, seen me, seen the fact that I'd covered it on the channel. And they wanted to play it, so I taught them how to play it, and I played a game of Rebuilding Seattle. I love Rebuilding Seattle. It is easily one of my top ten games of this year. Um, I think this year is the year is its official release date. I don't think we, even though I had a copy in 2022, I think technically it's a 2023 game because I don't think anybody else had a copy uh, that early. But yeah, love rebuilding Seattle. I've covered it on the channel a few times now. Uh, check that out if you're interested. But yeah, really love that. And June Imperium. Uh, and that was the game of June Imperium that I mentioned where, yeah, I got lucky with that, that card at the end. Then on the next day of Bacon, I played a game of Hegemony. Again, utterly fantastic. Um, then I played a game of Sidereal Confluence. Now, Sidereal Confluence is an extraordinarily good and interesting game. And I've only played it, I think, twice before. And I've been wanting to play it again for over a year. Now, Chris and Deck, uh, two of my patron supporters, were, uh, had come down to Bacon from Bristol uh, and Chris had said, oh, I'm thinking of bringing Sidereal Confluence. Anybody want to play it? And I was like, yes, absolutely yes. And I played that on the Friday night. Now, um, I don't remember much about Sidereal Confluence. Thankfully, Chris knew all of the rules and was a very good teacher. Uh, and I played a relatively easy race. Sidereal Confluence is a great game. Now, it's not for everybody. It's absolutely not for everybody. It requires a high player count. I think the box says three to seven. Don't play it with fewer than five. Five players, I think, is really what's needed for the game. But it's got open negotiation. It's it's just, it's weird. So it's set in space. Um, and it was actually Zev Schlesinger. I can never pronounce his name. Zev, from WizKids Games, who came up with the name of the game. So I don't know what it was when it was being, you know, developed or whatever. I need to find out from Zev. Um, but he's the one that came up with the name for the game. And I think it's a great name for a game because it's, it's unusual. Uh, and it's the second edition I've got because the first edition had horrible graphic design and just looked awful and wasn't really functional. Um, second edition is really, really good. Second printing. They haven't really changed any of the rules. But yeah, it's, it's an asymmetric game. Each player has individual player powers. There's a huge amount of open trading that goes on. That's the main core, core part of the game. And basically you're trading these little cubes, little, little cubes. But the cubes are of different sizes and different colours and they're of different values. So you'll be like, oh, I'll trade you these two little white ones and a green one for that big blue cube. Because I need that blue cube to turn that into a victory point and a fighter, which I'll then trade with you. And you can do all of this stuff. It's just really, really good. It's a game I'd love to play more of. Um, it, but it, for me, it only comes out like once a year, once every 18 months. And therefore, I'm not very good at the game. Um, and I really would like to play it more. So yeah, that's Sidereal Confluence. We finished off that evening with a game of Scout, which is always fun. Uh, and I really enjoy Scout. I think it's a fantastic game. Uh, and I know some people just say it's completely random and you get your hand of cards and you've either won or you've lost based on your hand of cards, right? I I get where they're coming from. And it could be that you get lucky with a hand of cards and it could be that you don't get lucky with a hand of cards. But there are so many decision points in the game where you can influence that by taking cards, putting them in there. Basically, the game is enjoyable to play. So for me, even if the game is a little bit more luck-based than what I'm used to, the game is great, it's good fun to play, you do have some important decisions, and I really enjoy it. We did have something very, very strange happen in our game of Scout. One player played a run of seven. This is a four-player game. Played a run of seven. I thought it was either seven or eight. 
It was something insane. And it was just like, okay, well, that that's the round over. Nobody's going to be able to beat that. And then the first player took a card, and then the second player took a card, and then the next player did beat it with a run of whatever. It was just, what? How's that happened? Yeah, so very unusual. But yeah, always a great game. I love playing it. On the 15th, Bacon was a great weekend for me playing games that I don't normally get to play. We played Guards of Atlantis 2. Now, I had a little bit of a professional involvement with the game. Uh, I remember doing a uh, playthrough video with them on Tabletop Simulator at the time of the Kickstarter, where I played with three of the lead playtesters who were really, really good at the game, and I really enjoyed it. This is a board game that's inspired by multiplayer online battle arenas. A bit like League of Legends and things like that. As far as I understand it, I don't play those games myself. Um, but it is a zero-look game. There is no dice rolling, there is no random card draw, there's none of that. Each of your uh, heroes in the game has a, a small hand of cards. You have like five cards or something like this. And you play a card, and then the cards are all revealed, and then the characters on the board do something. Absolutely zero-look. Purely tactical, purely... Um, deterministic in the way that things work. The cards, if you want to attack somebody, it's got a number on it. They have a chance to defend themselves by playing a defense card. If they can't, they're wounded. There's a lot of good things to like about this game. And I think I, I'd like to, if I have time, I'd like to explore it more. Because the people who like this game absolutely love it. And they see the greatness that this game is... And I can see where they're coming from with it because the game is something very different and uh, quite unique in that particular genre of miniatures moving around and fighting. Um, so we enjoyed it. That was my, apart from the game that I played on Tabletop Simulator with three other people, this was my first proper game of it and my first game with the physical components. I enjoyed it. But I have one concern with it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to like reviewing the game or saying it's broken or anything like this because I think I'm wrong. But I spotted something near the end of our game that is something that I kind of... I keep meaning to go and ask the designer and say, look, this, has, this happened in our game. Can you explain this to me? And I might struggle to remember what it actually was. It's something about... Um, basically, the, the board is divided into three lanes and you start fighting in the middle lane... And then if you win the if you win that fight, you push to the enemy's area. So you, you move and now you're fighting in the lane which is next to your enemy's fortress. And if you win again, you win the game. So the idea is that you push, you win the middle fight, you push to their area, you win that fight, you push on, and, and then you've won the game. But that's quite hard to do. And the reason is because the enemy's area, which is next to their fortress, has got more of their troops than your troops. So the chances are you push into that area, the chances are you'll get pushed back. Because the odds are in their favour as the defender to push you back. And I get that. That's fine. And that's exactly what happened in our game. We pushed there. Then in the next wave, they pushed back. So then we go to wave three. I think you play four waves, is it? Or something like that. Um, so then they push there and then they push back. And there, there was something about... Or maybe it's just three waves. Maybe it's something about... I think this might be right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if the game goes to three waves, then it's whoever won the last wave. So what that said to me is, oh, okay, well, hang on a minute, or maybe it was four waves, or some, there was something about it that I felt most games were going to go to this draw and this tie break, 
and therefore you are at a disadvantage if you manage to get the last push because suddenly there are more enemy troops there and therefore they're more likely to win the last fight of the game and it's the winner of the last fight of the game that wins the battle. Something like that, I can't quite remember. But yeah, enjoyed it, loved the deterministic combat, loved the card play. I played terribly, absolutely terribly, but it was a good game. Then, on the 15th, I played Teotihuacan. And on the 16th, I also played Teotihuacan. <clears throat> so let's talk about that. Teotihuacan has been relaunched on Kickstarter by Board and Dice with a new Master Deluxe Edition in a big box with deluxified components, new artwork, no changes to any of the rules. So it's not really a second edition of the game. It's just a Master Edition. But it's got all of the expansions that have ever been released, all of the promo tiles that have ever been released, and it's all in there. And it was on Kickstarter. I, I don't know if the Kickstarter is still running at the time of recording this video. It might be, it might not. Um, but Board and Dice, because they're one of my clients and I do a lot of work with them, they wanted me to cover the game. So they sent me uh, a prototype copy of the deluxe version uh, and they asked me to cover it on the channel. Now, the only time I was able to cover it on the channel in that month was on the Sunday the 16th. Now, I've not played Teotihuacan for a long time. So on the Saturday at Bacon, I got a game out and we relearned how to play. So a big thank you to the people who played uh, Teotihuacan with me uh, on that Saturday because I was very, very rusty with the rules. Um, I think all of us had played it before, um, but all of us were equally as rusty with the rules. And in fact, there was one rule that I completely forgot about when we played it at Baycom. And then on the Sunday, and this is on the channel now, so if you want to see the new deluxe edition being played, if you've never played Teotihuacan before and you want to know what it's all about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that video is on my channel from April the 16th. It was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, it was me, Tom and Mark. Tom and Mark were at Bacon with me. Uh, I didn't go to Bacon on the Sunday. I spent the morning setting the studio up. Tom and Mark arrived and, th and then we played it in the afternoon. And at the start of that playthrough, I was explaining to the audience how the rules work and everything else. And then Tom said, oh, and you can spend three cocoa to unlock your workers and not spend a turn. I was like, oh yeah, completely forgot about that. So that was the rule that we missed on the Saturday. If at the start of your turn, all of your workers are locked, you can spend your turn to unlock all of those workers. Or you can spend three cocoa to unlock them quickly and then take your turn as normal. Uh, and yeah, so thank you very much to Tom for reminding me of that. It was a very good game and it was a very close game between Tom and Mark. Not with me, I didn't play very well, but it was great. Honest opinion on Teotihuacan, it's my favourite of the T games. It's one of the very early ones and I do like Tekenu. Uh, I do like Tabanusi. Um, I didn't like Trismegistus at all. Um, what's the other ones? I haven't played Tawantin Suyu yet. Uh, I'm sure there's other ones. Oh, Tilatum. Yeah, I enjoyed Teotihuacan, but Teotihuacan is my favourite of them. Uh, I really enjoy Teotihuacan mechanically and thematically. Uh, there is an issue with the game, though, is that there's upkeep. There's a lot of little fiddly bits of upkeep, and quite often you will play a game and you will forget them. You will forget to move up the avenue of the dead when you build a decoration. You'll forget to do this thing. You'll forget to move that piece when somebody ascends. There is a little bit of that involved in the game, which is why playing it on Board Game Arena is excellent, because it does all of that admin for you. Um, but anyway, Teotihuacan, yeah, fantastic game, and I'm glad that um, Board and Dice have decided to do this deluxe version. Now, most people I know that are fans of the game, who have the original game and all of the expansions, have said, 
it's not worth us getting the deluxe version. Financially, it's not worth it. Some people have, and they're going to sell their original set. But for people who don't have any of Teotihuacan, who are interested in getting it, this is the opportunity to get absolutely everything for it. Um, and I do like the new look and the layout. And the board is two-sided. Um, and I like both sides. I think both sides of the artwork uh, look really good. Anyway, that's that. Also on that Sunday, we played a game of Block and Key, uh, which is from Inside Up Games, which is a kind of like Chaos Tetris placing blocks to try and make patterns. I think I've talked about it before on the channel. That's always good fun. Um, and we played a game of Pictures, which is also always good fun. And then we had a game of Just One. Now, when we play Just One, we don't follow the actual rules of the game, which are to take 13 cards, put them in a pile, and you're supposed to just play 13 goes. We never do that. We play Just One as a fun activity. Uh, what we do is we put the big deck of cards in the middle of the table, and we keep going round and round until somebody has to go home. That, that's how we play. There were seven of us. We went twice round the table, and then we finished. And that was the last game we played, and then people went home. But in that twice round the table, we got every single one correct. Now, that means if we were playing with the proper rules, we would have actually scored 13. Well, we actually scored 14. Um, but yeah, so we've never scored that high before. There you go. So for those people, and again, I'm curious, if you're watching this video and you have played just one and you have managed to score 13, let me know. Because in the past, I think I've only ever got to 10 or 11 before. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was really good. Um, next up, on the 19th of April, I continued my coverage of Teotihuacan. And this time, I did the solo playthrough. Now, Board and Dice asked me to create the multiplayer playthrough video, which I did. So that, that was sponsored. But um, having played Teotihuacan again a couple of times, I went... Oh, I love this game. This is such a good game. And they've sent me this deluxe version. I'm going to do the solo mode. So I decided off my own back, Board and Dice didn't ask me to do it, but I did a solo playthrough uh, on the 19th of April. And this is on the channel now if you want to watch it. It is using the new deluxe version of the game, um, but the solo rules haven't changed. And now, my opinion on the solo mode of Teotihuacan, it is way more complicated. It's, it's outside of my comfort zone. The admin overhead of running the bot is too much for me personally. That's my own personal opinion because I don't like complex bots. Uh, and if you're watching this video and you think it's not a complex bot, Paul, it's a really simple bot, that's fine. If for you it's a simple bot, great. For me, it requires too much brain power to be able to concentrate on my own game. Saying that though, it is very, very good. The bot is very well designed. It is a very good bot. It's just a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And that video that I did, which was a public video on the 19th, was a little bit rough. Again, it wasn't sponsored. It is something that I wanted to do uh, and my patron supporters wanted me to do it. So I, I decided to do it, but it was a little rough and I was getting a few things wrong. But on the morning of the 20th of April, the day after, the game was still set up and I was really keen to play it again. So I did another playthrough. This was a Patreon only playthrough on the, on the morning of the 20th and it went a lot better. In fact, in hindsight, what I should have done is I should have done the Patreon only one first, which was the rough 
warm up with me learning and everything else. And then the second video I did went a lot smoother. I mean, literally, I was running the bot like, oh yeah, it's that card. I know what that does. I move this to here. I do that and I do that. It went a million times better. In fact, the first video, I was a bit embarrassed. I considered even taking it down because it just made me come across as like, I don't really know how to play. Um, I'll talk a bit, a little bit about this more later on because there's something I want to say on, this, on the topic. But when I'm doing these unsponsored videos... I'm taking time off my paid work, okay? Now, I, I don't mind this. This I'm not complaining, but this is how it is. I really wanted to play it. I had this burning desire to play the solo mode, but not only did I have to carve out a, a number of hours out of my paid job in order to do it, which wasn't planned because I hadn't been planning to do it, um, but if I'd have spent the time prepping and doing a live stream, it would have basically been an entire day's gone, all right? It would have been six or seven hours, I would have lost the entire day in prepping and doing all of this stuff for a video that, that wasn't sponsored. And whilst I would have liked to have done that, I do have a job which I need to do in order to get paid. So I have to balance, you know, if I think, oh, you know, really want to do this, but I don't have the time it would take to fully prepare for it, should I still do it anyway? And most of the time I do. And, and this is just a comment that, some of the videos on my channel are very rough. Somebody even left me a really nasty comment this morning about one of my really early streams when I was playing Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth. Um, now, th those videos were not sponsored at all. It was just, I wanted to play this game. I'm taking out my own time. I'm taking time away from my paid work in order to do this video. And people are leaving comments to say, why did you bother even doing this video? You don't even know the rules how to, of how to play. Are you illiterate? That's some of the comments that I get on my channel. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is the second video was a lot better. So if you're a patron supporter of mine and you're interested in seeing a solo playthrough of Tales of Wakan, don't watch the one that's on the public channel. Watch the private one, which I think I posted a link to on the Patreon page. Right. Next up, on the 20th of April, it was the Cranbrook Games Club. And for the first time in a, in, a, in, a, in a very long time, I had a free evening where I didn't have a game to play that I was going to be doing a stream of the next day. And I decided that I wanted to play Endless Winter. Now, most of you who are watching this video will know that I had a lot of professional involvement with Endless Winter. I wrote all of the rule books for that game and I did videos for all of the different variations of the game. Well, not quite all of the variations. I didn't cover the promo modules and the glacier tiles and the rest module, but I covered, I did a video on the base game. I did a video on the solo game. I did a video on rivers and rafts. I did a video on cave paintings and I did a video on ancestors. So I've done a whole bunch of videos for the game and I spent a year working with them, writing all of the rule books for the game. But since it came out, Endless Winter has had a number of, uh, criticisms against it that it is just too easy to do everything and having played the game about 12 times I have to say hand on heart that I agree with those criticisms I enjoy Endless Winter I think it is an interesting mix of mechanisms I can see why some people feel it's a little bit too much and they feel that the kitchen sink has been thrown in but I enjoy the core gameplay and I enjoy how it all fits together However, we were finding that after a few games, 
by the end of the game, we were able to have accomplished pretty much everything that there is to do. We would have built our three villages. We would have got our camps out. We would have had loads of animal in, in, in our collection. We would have got to the top of both idle tracks and we'd have got all of our megaliths out. Oh, and we'd have got seven cards in our burial pile. So the game has all of these different things that you can do. And we were finding that we were pretty much being able to do almost everything or everything by the time the game ends. And that's kind of put some of us off the game a little bit because when you get a game where you can accomplish everything you think well what am I going to do in the next game a sign of a good euro game to me is one where you've got all of these choices lots of different things you can do but there's lots of different strategies to pursue oh I could do that I'll focus on that and maybe leave this one a bit or I'll I'll focus on these two and maybe leave that one a bit and in endless winter you seem to be able to have the time to do everything anyway there is a house rule that was being talked about quite a bit and that house rule then became an official variant and that house rule is that instead of having three workers in the first era you only have two. So the way that the game plays is that there are four rounds divided into two eras. Era one is rounds one and two, era two is rounds two, uh, three and four and you get three workers in each round so you will get 12 actions in total in the whole game. But the suggested variant and this is now an official variant is you only get two workers, so your, your normal worker and your chief, in age one. So you will only get to do 10 actions in the whole game instead of 12. And we played it. And personally, I will never play without that rule. I felt that it worked a lot better. Uh, the game was a little bit shorter. But also, we weren't able to accomplish everything. So we actually had decisions to make about which direction we go in. Uh, and that tightened the game up and I felt it was a lot better. The other official variant, which we also used, which I agree with, uh, is it reduces the effects of the terrain board. So if you're interested in Endless Winter, but you were having a similar issue, definitely check out the official variants. Um, one of them is reducing the number of workers. And the second one is that on the terrain board, there are no friendly ties. If two people tie with influence over a hex, nobody gets anything. Um, and what that does, it makes the competition for the terrain a lot more important, but it also has the impact that it just reduces the amount of resources that everybody gets. And that was the problem in the game. Everybody was just getting too much stuff and was able to do too many things. So that reduces that a little bit. Um, yeah, Endless Winter, that is now for me back in the I now want to play this again and will be happy to play it, but I will never play it without that variant. Next up, on the 21st of April, Simon Milburn came over from Drunder Games and taught us how to play Pioneer Rails. Pioneer Rails is a flip and write game from Drunder Games. It's on Kickstarter right now, if you're interested. Uh, you can either back the game on Kickstarter and, and get the physical game, or you can just back the print and play version for like five pounds or something like that. Um, Matthew Dunstan is one of the designers uh, and it's, it's a fantastic game. Um, really, really good. Now, this was a sponsored video. Dranda Games asked me to cover it on the channel, but again, I didn't have the time to get the game, learn it, practice it and everything else, but I really wanted to cover it. I want to support uh, Aiden and Simon at Dranda Games. So basically, Simon's got family down it this way. Simon drove down here for the day, taught us how to play. We did the live stream of it and then Simon headed off afterwards. So we played two games of Pioneer Rails that day, uh, one of which was our practice game, and then we did the live stream of it 
Uh, no, in fact, no, it was the other way around. No, that was it. The live stream was Simon teaching us how to play. That was our first game of it. The reason we played two games is after Simon had gone, we then played it again. We enjoyed it so much, we then played it again in the evening. So that is Pioneer Rails. It's a flip and write uh, drawing track on a board. Uh, but going on from what I said about Endless Winter, in Pioneer Rails, you will only build across about half of the map. You have real decisions about what you want to do in the game. And whilst sometimes you are a bit driven by the cards that come out, uh, you definitely have choices and you can have a, an idea. You can say, oh, in, in this game, I'm going to try and do this kind of strategy. But there are different goals that come out and the goals that come out will influence um, will influence your decisions during the game. So yeah, there's a playthrough of that on the channel if you're interested. As I say, I really enjoyed it and I have played it since. And then finally, not finally, but finally for the 21st, April the 21st, it finally happened. Five years or maybe even six years after people were telling me how good Ginkgopolis was. So if you are one of these people that have known me for a long, long time and you have been telling me for a many, many years that Ginkgopolis is really good, I finally got to play it. So unfortunately, Pearl Games, the publisher, uh, is, is no longer with us. Uh, they, they have had to close, which is a real shame because Pearl Games have done a lot of great games in the past. Uh, and this... This is one of them. Now, the designer is the same designer as Royal Palace, uh, which is a brilliant game, and Carnegie, which is my favourite game of um, that last year. Yeah, I think I think that, I haven't announced this officially yet, but hot off the spoiler, um, Carnegie is my number one game from 2022. Yes, um, it's, it's brilliant. Anyway, so the designer has a great pedigree. And Ginkopolis, I didn't know that much about it other than Everybody has been telling me for years it's been really good. I even did an unboxing video of it in December 2020 or 2021. And it's been over two years since doing the unboxing when I finally got around to play it. Lots of you who are followers of mine have been trying to get me to play this game. And I've been wanting to. It, haven't, it hasn't been that I haven't wanted to. It's just a case of never seem to have enough time to cover the game. So I'm really, really glad that I have played it because it was utterly fantastic. Now... That video that we did, and it's on the channel now, it's from April the 21st, it wasn't a sponsored video. Um, and we actually did a video where we learned how to play the game from the rulebook. Now, some people don't like those kind of videos, and that's fine, you don't have to watch it. Other Ginkopolis videos are available. Um, but if you wanna watch me, Rob and Pete, sitting down with the rulebook and learning how to play the game and then playing it, you can watch it on the channel. Uh, that is there. And a big thank you to all of the people who watched live uh, and spotted some of the little mistakes that we were making in the game. Unfortunately, and this wasn't spotted until afterwards, there was one time where we forgot to put a construction token on a tile which affected something or other. But yeah, it was a really, really good game. Um, it's quite simple in the way that it works, but it is so clever. And I have not seen a game use the mechanisms that I've seen in that game before. You're basically playing cards to either add new tiles to the existing city or to replace tiles from an existing city and build them up. And if you replace a tile, then you get that card as a scoring. It's just genius. It uses a drafting mechanism for the cards, but unlike a lot of other games uh, where you're drafting cards and then playing them, it is, here's four cards, play one of these three, okay? Pass the other three to your left, and then draw a replacement card from the deck. So you now have four cards, 
Okay, I'm now going to play this one past the rest of the left. Um, and it just works really, really well. So that's on the channel if you're interested in playing that. Uh, sorry, if you're interested in seeing that. My thoughts on the game is the game is brilliant. Really, really good. Then on Sunday, the 23rd of April, me and Vicky played a game called Epi. E-P-P-I. Now this game is not out yet, but it is on Board Game Geek, which is why I'm going to talk about it. Uh, this is a game coming from Lookout Games, and I think it's coming out later this year. It is in the Cantaloupe style of game, so it's similar to a point-and-click uh, computer-style computer adventure game. Um, and if you've played Cantaloupe, then you will you will know how the system works. It uses exactly the same system. But Epi is a one-off adventure that takes probably about 90 minutes to two hours to play. It's aimed at a younger audience. Saying that, me and Vicky thoroughly enjoyed it and whilst the theme of the game is about sort of kids in the house and this that and the other um the the puzzles in the game were, were good and we we enjoyed the puzzles and we enjoyed playing the game um lookout games have asked me to help them with some proofreading on the game so we we played through it so that we got the experience of playing through it uh, and then i spent a couple of days actually going through and proofreading the text and editing some of the card text and and things like that. It's quite narrative heavy. There's a lot of story in it. There's a lot of reading in it. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it's quite good. So if you have a family, maybe eight to ten year olds or eight to twelve year olds, and you're interested in something that you can do because it's fully cooperative, you play together. It's effectively a solo player game, but you wouldn't really want to play it. I mean, you could play it solo if you wanted to. But we enjoy playing it with like you know me and Vicky playing it together and talking about what we should do and working out the puzzles together. Um, but I would I would very much recommend this uh, if you like that sort of thing and you've got a, a, a family to play with, then yeah, really good. Next up on the 25th of April uh, was Undaunted Battle of Britain Day. Uh, so Paul came over, Paul Snugs came over, and we filmed uh, the tutorial and playthrough for Undaunted Battle of Britain, which is now live on the channel. So it, it didn't go out live to the public. We filmed it, recorded it, and then I edited it, and then I put it out later. So Undaunted Battle of Britain is the latest game in the Battle of, in, in the Undaunted series. Um, and yeah, in that video, I will teach you how to play the game and show you how Scenario 1 plays. We enjoyed it so much, we then played Scenario 2. Now, Scenario 2 was a bonus stream for patron supporters. So if you're a patron supporter of mine, you will have a link to the second game. Um, but the public playthrough was just the tutorial and a playthrough of Scenario 1. Now, those were sponsored videos. I am professionally involved in the Undaunted series in the Osprey games. Ask me to cover the games in my professional capacity. But in a personal capacity, I'm a big fan of the Undaunted series of games. I was actually a little bit sceptical about Battle of Britain. I didn't think that it was going to work as well as it did. So the big difference between Battle of Britain and the other Undaunted games is that um, facing of your counter is important. In the previous games, it was just, there's the soldiers, they're, they're in that location. It doesn't matter which way they're facing and they can shoot in any direction. But in Battle of Britain, each counter is a plane and therefore it has a particular facing and it can only shoot in a particular direction. Most of the planes can only shoot forward, but there is the RAF Defiant, which has got a turret which can fire in every direction other than forward. But there's 11 scenarios included. Everyone is different. Everyone has its own objectives. We've played the first two scenarios and it was brilliant. Really, really good. If you are a fan of the Undaunted series, you're going to love it. 
because um, it's just it's it's not just more of the same. It's the same core mechanism, but with these twists that your movement you have to keep moving because obviously planes would fall out the sky, um, and and the tactical movement and the and the placing and the rotating and everything else. Now I'm not normally good at sort of the spatial awareness style games. Um, but yeah, in that game, it was it was fine. So that, that was really good. As I say, we played two games that day. Uh, then in the evening, we started our Arkham Horror campaign. So Arkham Horror, the card game, I've covered on the channel many, many times before, but it had been 18 months since we last played it. And I've been wanting to play it again for so long. And finally, we started again. So last week was episode one of a new series where we're playing through the Edge of the Earth uh, campaign. Me and Emily are playing it. And in fact, last night we played part two. So both of those videos are on the channel now if you are interested in seeing uh, the Edge of the Earth campaign. I will talk a little bit about it so far. I love it, but I'm loving it because it's Arkham Horror. Um, Arkham Horror, the card game, is a fantastic card game. Absolutely love playing it. Uh, and we are only two chapters in or we're, it's not chapters really, it's two parts, call it chapters. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're two games in, because the campaign flow for Edge of the Earth flows differently from the other ones. The other campaigns are eight chapters, and you play them in order. This one is actually four chapters, but each chapter is made up of multiple parts, and depending on which route you go, you might do some parts, you might not do other parts. Um, so yeah, so we're two down at the moment. There might be seven or eight to go. There might only be three more to go. We, we, we don't know. It depends on the choices that we make. But I'm loving the setting. It's set in Antarctica. It's based after the happenings of the Mountains of Madness um, story um, from H.P. Lovecraft's original, original works. Uh, and you've gone back to Antarctica. Now, I haven't read the Mountains of Madness, so all of this is going to be a surprise for me. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. What's interesting about the Edge of the Earth is that I have posted on a couple of Facebook groups and said, where does this rate? And a lot of people have said, it's their favourite one. And some people have said, it's the worst one. Um, I can see some of the criticisms in that a lot of people found that it was a little bit too random. And if things start to go wrong, like adding too many frost tokens in the bag, it just can get even worse. So it, things can spiral a bit out of control. Um, I guess that's the same with a lot of Arkham Horror Games. But yeah, really, really happy that we've gone back to it again. Now, these are not sponsored videos. So again, I, I always say this and I need to say it more. A huge thank you to all of my patron supporters because the patron support gives me the financial flexibility to take time off work in order to be able to do things like that. And you might think, well, hang on a minute, Paul. You did that on a Tuesday evening. Why are you having to take time off work? Well, it takes me about two hours to do all of the prep that's needed before the playthrough in the evening. And that's two hours that I have to take off my work. So yeah, I can't do this without the support of the Patreon. So yeah, a big thank you to you for your support because your support enables me to play games that I really enjoy. Um, and I hope you enjoy watching them. Next up, we're almost there. But on the 28th of April, another game that I haven't played for 18 months. It's been an extremely good month for me getting around to playing games that I've been wanting to play for a long time. And that is Cloudspire. Uh, so John Madani came over for the day and JP came down for the day and we played Cloudspire. This is on the channel now if you want to watch it. It's a game of Cloudspire, a two-player game, even though there were three of us. Me and John played together uh, and we were playing the Grove Tenders versus the Nororan. Uh, and it was a fantastic game. Cloudspire is my number one game of 2019. I wish I had time to play it more. Really, really enjoyed it. 
I didn't think the video would go very well because it's been so long since I played it. I felt that it would be very rough and we'd make so many million rules mistakes and it would be a complete mess. And actually it went well. A big thank you to JP. JP knew the game really, really well. Um, but also a lot of the rules came back to me, which, yeah, I was surprised by how many of the rules came back to me. But yeah, Cloud Spire is a fantastic game. I can't rate it highly enough. It is another game which is unique in my collection. There is nothing else like it. And I just wish I had time to play it more. Then also on the 28th, after the game of Cloudspire, we played Red Cathedral. So we actually had two games of Red Cathedral. After the Cloudspire game had finished, uh, we went for Chinese. We came back, we ate the Chinese, and we then played the base game of Red Cathedral downstairs. And I'm glad we did that because in the evening, we did a playthrough of Red Cathedral with the expansion. And I was a little nervous about playing the game, which I hadn't played in a long time, um, with the expansion, with two new players, when I hadn't played it for, for ages. Thankfully, though, um, we had enough time to play a practice game first. So we, we played through an entire game of base game of Red Cathedral. And then in the live stream, and this is on the channel if you want to watch it, it's a live stream of Red Cathedral with the contractor's expansion. Uh, and it was just really good. Not only did I get to play Red Cathedral twice, but it was good that we got the first game as a learning game. Now, if you do watch that video, I have to apologize. I did get a rule wrong. We played it that the unfinished towers do not score at the end of the game. That is not correct. Unfinished towers still score as normal, but any unfinished sections of those towers don't count for scoring. So that's the rule that I misread. So yeah, slight mistake there with the rules. Apologies for that. Um, Red Cathedral, what do I think about it? It's a fantastic game. And I've, I've been saying this a lot, but I'm enjoying so many of the games that I've been playing. Uh, Red Cathedral is a brilliant, brilliant game. Um, does the expansion make it better? I'm not sure. If I'm honest, I'm not sure. The base game is brilliant. I really, really enjoy the base game. Now, the expansion comes with two modules. One of the modules is the contractors, which I enjoyed. It does add a different dimension to the game. But the other module is 10 extra guilds, which adds a whole lot of additional variability. Now, some people that I know have said that they enjoy the expansion, but they don't use contractors because they felt that that added a bit too much. But what they do is they use these 10 additional guilds uh, and you choose one of the guilds at the start of the game to play with and that changes the rules. So we chose the foreman and we basically had uh, somebody going around each tower evaluating it. So we called that Sandra uh, after after Vital Lacerda's Kanban game. Um, but yeah, that was quite good that we had this, this one person walking around evaluating the thing and basically making that tower worth more points. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Red Cathedral is a fantastic game. Rating out of 10 for me... For Red Cathedral, probably a 9 out of 10. I just think it's an absolutely solid design, really interesting choices, really clever mechanisms. It's not overburdened with a million extra rules, and it's just really streamlined and plays really smoothly. And it's a good playtime as well. And then on the 29th, I hosted a Games Day. Now, if you're a patron supporter of mine, you have access to this. Um, if you are a new patron supporter of mine, just scroll back, uh, but on Saturday I hosted a, a games day. So Vicky was out for the day, bridesmaid shopping. Bridesmaid dress shopping, not shopping for bridesmaids, shopping for dresses for the bridesmaids. So while she was out for the day, I decided to host a games day. So I think about 11 people came over. Um, there were games going on downstairs and there were games going on up, up here. And 
the, all of the games that were played up here, they were live streamed as a bonus set of playthroughs for Patreon supporters only. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so I played that day. The first game that I played was Dice Master Cities of Doom. How many people watching this video have even heard of this game? Uh, this is a game that came out from Iron Crown Enterprises in 1996. On the, band, on the bandwagon of Magic the Gathering, uh, this is a dice game which had a collectible aspect to it. Now, to be fair, the base core set that you had to buy to play the game was not collectible. And each player had to have their own copy of it. And then the first expansion set, Wilds of Doom, was not collectible. But then there were these Doom Cubes, which were collectible. Now, I don't have any of the Doom Cubes, but this is a game where there is absolutely no videos for it on BoardGameGeek. And, although I did a video on it on Saturday morning, it wasn't a public video. It was a private video for patron supporters only. Uh, this is a game that died. As soon as it came out, it, it died. And nobody plays this game anymore, I don't think. Uh, and most people have never heard of this game, and you can't get it anywhere except for eBay, I bought it in 1996 when it came out and I've played it probably about five times in my life. And every 10 years or so, I mean, I played it a few times when it came out and then every 10 years or so, I, I find it in a cupboard and I get an urge to play it again. And I've, I found it about a year ago and I had the urge to play it again. And thankfully, John Madani was up for it. So me and him played it on the Saturday morning. I am glad that I played it again. It was fun, but the game is a bit flawed. Um, I don't mind some of the dice rolling in it, but when you roll a dice to determine how tough the enemy is, and it's between one and five, it's it's a bit swingy. So yeah, there's a bit too much randomness in it, and it's a shame, because there's actually quite a lot of the game which is really cleverly designed. There's a lot of the game which is actually really clever in the way that you use provisions and you move on, and then you have to spend that, and the dice and the way... It, yeah, I can see there's a lot of cleverness in the design, but there's a little bit too much swinginess. The other problem that we had with the game, and again, if you don't know the game, this isn't going to mean anything to you, but there isn't much progression in the game. So what you do is before you even start the adventure, you get these three attempts to prepare your character where you roll a whole bunch of dice uh, and you gain provisions and you gain magic and everything else. But some of those dice allow you to effectively level up your character. Now, we let both me and John both leveled up our character to the max before we'd even started playing. So therefore, when we're actually playing the game, our characters don't level up at all. Our characters don't get any better. So there's no progression in terms of the character development during the game. Now, what that means is your characters are as powerful at the start of the game as they are going to be as the, as the game goes on, which is a bit of a shame, especially when you get to a really difficult path where you just roll really bad numbers on the landscape dice. And you're like, oh, okay. So every fight we're now going to have on this particular route is just going to be crazy dangerous and it's just it got a bit repetitive we were rolling dice but because the number was too high um and because we couldn't level up our characters anymore we basically got a bit stuck oh you're damaged go back a space take four damage my go i got hit go back a space take three damage your go heal up try to progress it it got a little bit repetitive in the end so i enjoyed the game it was fun it was nice to play it again but i think it needs some changes to make it a bit more playable there needs to be some character progression in there and there needs to be a way that you can uh, get round the higher difficulties. Anyway, that was Dice Master, Cities of the Doom. Then we played Dune Imperium in the afternoon, which was, again, fantastic. 
Then we played Rebuilding Seattle in the evening, which was fantastic. And other games that I played that day were Just One, which I've spoken about a lot. Uh, Block and Key, I played that again. And I played So Clover. And that is it. My God, I'm exhausted. My throat is hurting. And if I sound enthusiastic and passionate, it's because so many of these games have been great games. And I'm. this has been a particularly good month. And it actually gives me a really warm feeling inside because I've spent the last two or three years of my life with a growing frustration that I don't have enough time to place these great games. And this is something that has actually been really, really bothering me. Now, about six months ago, I made a decision that I was going to start accepting less and less paid work, less and less sponsored videos. So going off at a slight tangent for a minute before I talk about the online games. Um, now, the danger with that is I'm earning less money. Okay, and that's just, that's how it works. You know, I get paid by the hour for the work that I do. And if I work fewer hours, I get paid less money. That's just how it is. Thankfully, as I've mentioned many times, the patron support that you provide me gives me the financial flexibility to do this. But one of the things that I've been really, really trying to do for the last six months is address these frustrating issues that I have. And it isn't just a case of, I don't want anybody watching this to go, oh, we feel really sorry for you, Paul. You're going to have to work and you don't have time to play games. Okay. It's not, it's not like that. Well, it kind of is, but it's not like that. It's the constant influx of new games coming in all of the time. And, oh, here's another new game. Got to play it. Got to do a video. Gone. Next game. Got to do it. Got to replay it. Done. You know, and there are some channels out there, there are some YouTube channels out there that only cover the latest, hottest game. Um, and there's been a lot of pushback against this recently. And, I, and I, I can see where that's coming from. And there's a part of that on my channel because that that's my job. I get paid by publishers to make videos to help you make a decision about whether you buy the game or not. So I'm, I'm guilty of a bit of that myself. But I don't like that. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to balance that by going back and playing some existing games. So this month I have played Ginkopolis. Finally got around to playing that. That wasn't paid for. Uh, Arkham Horror. I've, I've finally gone back to Arkham Horror after an 18 month break. Again, not paid for. It's going to be a huge amount of videos not paid for. Cloudspire was not paid for. I'm really glad I got to play that again. So there's a whole load of games here and all of my June Imperium games. None of those were paid for. So... I'm glad that I'm getting time to play these games more and more and not just keep covering the new stuff. Anyway, let's move on to all of the games that I've played in the last month on websites asynchronously, such as Board Game Arena, Yukata, etc, etc. Now, I log the these plays on the day that the game finishes. So right now, I'm involved in some online games. I'm not, I've not logged them yet because they've not finished. But the games that I've played in the last four weeks or so... Ark Nova. I've played about four or five games of Ark Nova. It is still, I believe, in alpha testing or beta testing. Um, but I've played a mixture of solo and multiplayer games on Board Game Arena. The interface is brilliant. I really, really enjoy it. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of talk about this new scoring system for Ark Nova, which has had a lot of criticism, and I don't fully understand it. So I need to look into that to make sure I understand it. But yeah, Ark Nova, fantastic game. I am going to upset a lot of people by saying that after having played Ark Nova 
and terraforming Mars about 15 times each, I actually prefer terraforming Mars. And I know that isn't the popular opinion, but I'm going to say that. Anyway, Ark Nova, I've been playing that on Board Game Arena. I don't know when it's going to go public on Board Game Arena, but it's really good. Um, also, speaking of Terraforming Mars, I've had a game of Terraforming Mars using the unofficial website, and we played with the Venus expansion, which I've only ever played once before. And I know a lot of people don't like the Venus expansion, but I wanted to play with it, so we did. And that was a really good game. Really enjoyed that. Um, other games that I've played, Great Western Trail, second edition on Board Game Arena. Feast for Odin, also on Board Game Arena. Uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. I can't even remember playing a game of Lost Ruins of Arnak, but apparently I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Carnegie Tournament uh, has has finished for me. Um, my patron supporters, Brett specifically, has been organising a Carnegie Tournament uh, using Board Game Arena. Uh, and in the third round, I came third. So I got knocked out. I had a really good first game. And then I've just not done well after that. Uh, I've also played a game of No Thanks, and I've actually won. So I got my first ever win at a game of No Thanks. And I've been playing a couple of games on the Through the Ages app on the iPad, uh, which has been fantastic. I had one game where I won absolutely easily, and then the next game, with the same people, I was fighting with Rick for last place, and it just went horribly wrong. Uh, and Bruce got a strength of 81 by the end of the game. I don't think I've ever seen a strength of, of that high before. Um, that's it. That is all of the games that I've been playing. This is, as I said, this was going to be a long video, didn't I? I'm now going to take a very short break and then I'll be back with the rest of it in a minute. Right, I'm back. I didn't actually go anywhere. I just took a short breather, checked my messages uh, and had a drink. Now I'll have another drink. Right, okay, so uh, let's give you a quick Patreon update. So overall, I'm still very happy with the Patreon and the way that it's performing, although the last few weeks have actually not been great. Um, we've, we've lost loads of people in the last few weeks, um, which, which isn't ideal. Uh, and we've also just switched over to the start of a new month. Now, every time we switch over to the start of the new month, I lose about 25 or 30 people, not from people leaving. So I, I've had a whole bunch of people leave in the last few weeks, but every time it switches over to the first of a new month, about 25 or 30 people just, just disappear. They drop off. And that is because uh, normally Patreon is unable to take those payments. And that's pretty much always because uh, somebody's card, they've had a new card and they've not updated it on Patreon. Unfortunately, and this is still a problem, Patreon is absolutely rubbish about contacting people. So could I ask you, if you are a Patreon supporter of mine, please could you just log on to the Patreon system and just check that it has taken your payment because a lot of people have told me in the last week that, oh yeah, that, you know, I, I spoke to them and said, just to let you know, your payment didn't go through. And they went, oh yeah, I had a new card, but I never got any communication from Patreon whatsoever. So unfortunately, Patreon does seem to leave it down to creators themselves uh, to contact people, which is awful. It makes me feel awful saying, hello, you're a patron supporter of mine, but just to let you know your payment got declined. And I'm I'm having to do that because if I don't do it, Patreon isn't doing it themselves. Um, and if I, if I, I mean, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to just this week that said, oh yeah, I had no idea. And, and you know, they still want to support. So thank you to, the, to those people um, who do that. But yeah, we, I've lost loads of supporters. It's just one of those things, it's a bit weird. And I know that there's no correlation in this, but it just feels really weird that last week, well, yeah, not, not this week. In fact, no, let's talk about this week. This week I'm doing seven videos, five of which are not paid for. So 
five-sevenths of the videos that I make this week are not paid for whatsoever. The only videos this week that are paid for are the New York City videos on Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, nothing. Not getting paid for any of the content that I make on those four days. Last week, I think I had an entire week where none of the videos were paid for. So as time moves on, I am doing less and less paid work and I am doing more and more Patreon work. And the, 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 the odd thing is, last week I announced I'm doing a whole week of content which is not paid for. All of this work is completely funded through Patreon and is only possible through the Patreon campaign. And that was the week where I lost more supporters than anything else. And it's just, again... I'm sure there can't be a connection, but it's just a weird coincidence. Um, the current number of supporters is 948, which is still amazing. So thank you all for your support. Um, on screen now is a list of everybody who joined me in March. Because remember, I forgot to put this up last month. So big apologies to all of you people who joined me in March. And now is uh, an image of everybody who joined me in April. So yeah, thank you very much to all of you people who joined me in March and April. And just as a re just just as a reminder, these these look great. You know, I'm putting a picture on screen of all of these new people that have joined, but I'm not going to put a picture on screen of all the people that have left. And as I say, in the last in the last few weeks, more people have left than have joined. So yeah, it looks great that all of these new people have joined, but I'm actually losing more people than that. So yeah, it's um, as I say, I'm 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 overall happy with the performance of the Patreon. There is one thing that I did want to talk about, though, and this is a little bit of a an, uh, a topic that could get me in trouble if what I say comes across the wrong way. So, I mean, I hope it doesn't, but I'm quite often, ironically enough, bad at phrasing things that I want to say unless it's rules for a game. Rules for a game I'm okay with. Anything else in life I'm a bit rubbish at put, saying the right words. Um... But essentially, I just wanted to talk about the difference between me and some other content creators with respect to the Patreon. And this has come about because a couple of people um, have said to me that they aren't going to support me on Patreon. They, they, they like the content that I make, but they aren't going to support me on Patreon because I already have enough Patreon supporters. And what they're going to do is they're going to support other channels because the other channels have fewer Patreon supporters. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But in this particular instance, and I'm not going to start naming people or naming channels or anything else, but in this particular instance, they named a channel who 90% of the content they make is paid for. They do three videos a week, maybe. Two, three videos a week. Every single one is sponsored by the publisher. And then once a month, they will do a video that isn't sponsored by a publisher. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I have chosen to take a different approach with my channel, but I could have very easily said, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to say yes to all of this paid work. Yeah, I am not criticizing the content creators themselves for doing this content. It is a job. Absolutely fine. And I completely understand And there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, getting paid to do the job that you do and that's absolutely fine but it's comparison of patrons so for example like i've said this week i'm doing seven videos this week five of which are not sponsored last week i think i did a whole bunch of videos 
none of which were sponsored. And that's what I just wanted to get across. So if you're watching this video and you're one of my patron supporters, you, you already understand this. But if you're not one of my patron supporters and you think, well, Paul's got 948 supporters. He doesn't need any more. Why, why should we support him? Have a look at the amount of content that I'm making, which is not paid for. And in fact, it's it's quite a lot. Um, anyway, yeah, I just wanted to I just wanted to get that out there. So yeah, big thank you to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. Right. The next thing I wanted to talk about is something that I'm not actually now sure whether I want to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Because I feel that I'm in the right frame of mind to talk about this. And this is about my current mental health issues. Now, there was a time going back a few months ago where I would always give a little bit of an update on my mental health issues. Because I suffer from a lot of mental health issues. I have done for about a decade. Uh, sometimes they flare up and they're really bad. Sometimes they're not so bad. But I do struggle with them every day. Now, I hide those mental health issues by playing games, talking about games and doing streams. And there are so many people who I have spoken to who watch my content uh, and, and see my videos and go, well, you looked absolutely fine. You look, you look like confident. You look like you were enjoying yourself and, and everything was fine. I am very good at putting on a brave face and I am very good at hiding uh, a lot of the, the negative feelings that, that I'm feeling. Um, the reason why this vlog is late is that I've actually been having a really bad, the last four or five weeks have been really bad. Now, if you're watching this video, you've probably just seen me spend an hour and a half getting really enthusiastic and really happy and really excited about all of the games that I'm playing. And I will be absolutely honest with you, that has that has lifted a lot of the struggles that I've been feeling because I love games and I love talking about games. So right now, this is why I was thinking, oh, do I really want to talk about this? Because I'm feeling fine. But 30 minutes after I finish doing this video, all of the bad feelings will come back and I'll be back to where I was. So the reason why I've not mentioned this much in the last couple of video logs is that I've been mostly okay. Now, January, I was really ill. January, I got uh, a really, really bad flu followed by COVID and I was really ill. And then it, February was a month where I was physically a wreck and it was just taking me so long to recover. But my anxiety issues, and that is the main one of my mental health issues, um, the anxiety issues for sort of the end of February and March, they were at a manageable level. I wasn't getting the symptoms that I have had before. They're, they're always there, but the last five weeks have been pretty horrendous. Uh, and it, it's, it's hard to explain. And I'm not going to go into too many details. I did, I did share some details with my patron supporters earlier this week, but I don't want this video to become all about that. And it's always difficult to try and word these things because 10, 15 years ago, if somebody would have said the same things that I say now, I wouldn't have not 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 really believed them, but I wouldn't have understood it. Um, if you don't suffer from any kind of mental health issues, if you don't suffer from anxiety or depression or stress or anything like that, then you're probably not going to understand this. And I don't mean that as a criticism, because as I say, I wouldn't have understood this 15 years ago. I've heard of things like stress, anxiety, and depression, but until you've experienced them, they are really, really hard to try. It's not just about, oh, Paul's not feeling well. Oh, maybe he's just have a piece of chocolate cake and play a game and he'll be fine. No, this is an underlying fundamental issue that affects your entire life. I spend most of my day right now, I've got it now, but it's less because I've been talking about games, with chest pains. Every, every day, chest pains, short of breath, shaking inside, uncomfortable, on edge, 
nervous. That's me. And anxiety and other mental health issues, and you will know this if you suffer from them, they're just one of those things. And some people look at me and go, well, Paul, he's got a nice house. He's getting married this year. He's got a lovely soon-to-be wife. He's got two lovely cats. He's got a games collection. And he works in the board game industry that he loves. Why should he be unhappy, right? If you're one of those people, it's nothing about that. It's absolutely no. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter how cute your cats are. It doesn't matter about any of those things at all. If you suffer from these symptoms, then you're going to suffer from them. It's just it's just a part of life. Um, and yeah, in the in the last four or five weeks, just just to let you know how bad things are. And I'm not saying this to get any sympathy. I'm not. I'm just saying this because I want to be honest. And these video logs, the few people that do watch these video logs, I feel that I can be honest with you, and I want to be honest with you. I'm not just a faceless person that makes board game videos and smiles all the time. I'm a real person with real struggles and I have real likes and I have real dislikes um, and I want to put across the real me and not just some pretend person that presents videos. Um, there's been times in the last few weeks where the patron has nearly been cancelled and I have seriously been looking at all of the planned work that I had and contacting the publishers and saying I can't do this anymore and giving it all up. And that's not just me saying that to be, to, to try and get a reaction. But when you go to bed every night feeling like a failure, almost on the verge of tears, shaking every single night, because you just, and yeah, it's just, it's not been good. Now, I have no solution. Uh, I, I have no solution for this. I've tried various methods. Unfortunately, I've, I've been going to the gym now for seven or eight months it hasn't had any impact whatsoever. And that's really disappointing. One of the reasons why I wanted to start going to the gym is not only for the physical health benefits to feel a bit, you know, more energetic and whatever, um, but was that everybody I've spoken to, doctors and health professionals and everything have said that going to the gym and the release of the positive chemicals helps fight the negative chemicals. And I go to the gym and I come back from the gym and I, I am working as hard as I can when I'm at the gym. Uh, and I come back and five minutes later, I'm still feeling the same as I was. But anyway, I, I don't want to dwell in it too much. As I say, I just want to be honest. I haven't cancelled the Patreon. I haven't cancelled my played work. I am doing what I always do. I am pushing through it. If you are one of the people who watches this video, if you are one of those people who watches any of my live streams, thank you. Because those live streams, whilst they can sometimes put me on edge, um, you know, especially if things are... I know what's going wrong. And, and, and that's part of the problem is the things that I do and the things that I enjoy are also a cause of the problem. So for example, the Teotihuacan solo playthrough that I did, I felt really bad about that afterwards because I felt anybody watching this video is going to have a bad impression of me and the channel. And who's this amateur? He's playing a game. He's getting all of the rules wrong. He doesn't know what he's doing. So yeah, it's, it's a difficult um, balance for me to get. But some of the videos, like last night, thoroughly enjoyable, right? Absolutely thoroughly enjoyable. And like I said at the time, thank you to all of my Patreon supporters, because with your support, you enable me to take a few hours off on a Tuesday afternoon in order to do all of the prep that I need in order to bring you the Arkham Horror Stream that I did last night, but I got to play it. Now, 
I could have just sat downstairs and played the game with Emily, and that would have required me to not spend two hours setting the studio up. I would probably have had to spend half an hour getting the game out, but I want to do these live streams, and I want to still carry on producing the content. And sometimes that content, producing it, is very therapeutic for me. So, yeah, thank you very much to everybody who watches the channel. Right, moving on. Let's focus on more exciting things that are coming up soon. This week, in fact, tomorrow, as I'm recording this video on Wednesday, this is happening tomorrow. I am really hoping to get this video out by, to by, by today, but it's such a long video, I don't know if I'm going to be able to edit it. Star Wars Day. May the 4th, every year, me and Rick get together and we play Star Wars games. Now, last year was unfortunately not, didn't go as planned because I'd had COVID a few weeks before. Um, so we, we were planning to play Star Wars Rebellion last year and we did play Star Wars Rebellion, but we played it online over Tabletop Simulator, which was great. But tomorrow, Ricky's coming round at 8.30 in the morning with Star Wars Rebellion the physical board game, and we're going to play it. So really looking forward to that. I've only ever played Star Wars Rebellion once. I thought it was fantastic, and I want to play it again. And I'm doing that tomorrow morning. So me and Rick have taken the day off work. Again, going back to what I keep saying, another day, we've both taken off work. I lose money by taking that day off work, but thanks to the patron support, I can keep doing these things. So we're playing We're playing um, Star Wars Rebellion at 9 o'clock in the morning, then we're going to have a break for lunch, and then in the afternoon, we're going to be playing Star Wars Outer Rim. Now, I don't know how long the Rebellion game is going to take. <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to take us to eat lunch. So I don't, I, I've said that the Star Wars Outer Rim game is going to start at one o'clock. It might be a little bit before, it might be a little bit afterwards, but they are the two games that are going to be happening tomorrow. They will be live streamed. You can watch them live, or you can watch them back later, but that is tomorrow, Star Wars Day. Then tomorrow night... I'm doing a bonus live stream for Patreon supporters only. And we don't know what game we're going to be playing yet. The voting is still happening. The vote closes tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And it will either be Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition Crisis or Flam Rouge. They are the current leaders in the vote. And it will be one of those two games. That will be a Patreon only bonus stream tomorrow night. Then on Friday, I will be releasing my How to Play video for New York City, which is all done. It's all ready, but I'll be making that public on Friday. Friday afternoon, I will be learning the solo game for New York City. And then Friday evening will be the live playthrough of the solo game for New York City. So that's this week. Coming up in the next few weeks, more Arkham Horror. Every Tuesday is going to be Arkham Horror. I also have Apex Legends, which is the latest game from Glass Cannon Unplugged. This is a sponsored video. I am actually doing some paid work. Um, this is based on the popular IP computer game, uh, which is a sort of first-person shooter style game. I've played a prototype of it. I was very impressed uh, and I've decided that I'm I'm, I'm going to cover that. So I, I have a prototype physical copy of the game and I'm going to be covering Apex Legends on Saturday the 13th of May. JP, Adrian and Mark Monk are coming over and that's going to be happening on Saturday. Then the week after, I'm going to be covering War of the Three Sanchos, which I mentioned earlier on. Then on the Saturday, which I think is the 19th or the 20th, I'm going to be playing War Room. Now, War Room is by Larry Harris, who designed Axes and Allies, which is a game that I grew up playing. So, we're going to be there for many, many hours playing a war game uh, that's going to contain lots and lots of dice, and I'm really looking forward to it, because I still have a soft spot for Axes and Allies, because I grew up playing it, even though it's way too long, 
and has got loads of dice in it. But that's happening then. And also, Too Many Bones, another game that I've been meaning to go back to for the last 18 months. Ben's coming over, JP's coming over, and we're going to be playing the Automaton of Shale. That's happening later this month. Then, UK Games Expo. My plan is that I will be doing the next vlog at the very end of May, just before I go to Games Expo. Hopefully. If I don't, I'll be doing it when I get back from Expo. But, UK Games Expo, so I'm going to talk about this now. If you are going to UK Games Expo, and you are a Patreon supporter of mine, please get in contact with me. Because we, I'd love to meet you, I'd love to play a game with you if we get a chance. Uh, and we've got, we've got a few things. So first of all, uh, there is a Just One event for charity happening on the Saturday night. Unfortunately, tickets are not selling that quickly for it. So please, please, please... I don't want UK Games Expo to cancel the event, and I also don't want to run an event in a mostly empty room. Uh, that would make me feel pretty bad. But if you are free on the Saturday night of UK Games Expo, I am hosting an event for charity at 8 o'clock, and all of the money goes to charity. I'm not making any money out of it myself. I'm giving up my time uh, in order to help raise some money. So that's a just one live game, 8 o'clock Saturday. All you need to do is Google just one live with Paul Grogan, and that should take you to the page. That's happening on the Saturday night. We are then doing a Patreon meetup right afterwards. So if you are a Patreon supporter of mine, please come along to the Just One event, and then straight after the Just One event, we'll be having a Patreon meetup. Other than that, I will be demoing in a morning. I'm going to be demoing Marrakesh for Queen Games in a morning. Uh, so from 9 o'clock till 1 o'clock, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I'll be doing demos of Marrakesh, and then I have the afternoon to myself. Um, where I currently have no plans. I mean, I'll be, I'll be walking around and chatting to people uh, and going and seeing various other publishers, but I don't actually have any plans for anything else other than the charity event on the Saturday night. So yeah, if you are going to UK Games Expo, please let me know. I'd love to meet up with you. Say hello. Uh, if we can get a game together, that'd be great. And if you can come to the Just One event, then that would be great too. We're all done. We are all done. Managed to get it all filmed. I will now start the editing process for this, which is a shame, because it's actually quite a nice day today. The rain has stopped, the sun has come out, and I'm going to be sat in the studio editing this video all afternoon. Um, but yeah, like I've said many, many times through this video, a big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. Without you, the channel isn't possible, this video isn't possible, and what I do isn't possible either. So yeah, I can't thank you enough for this. Um, and that's it. Oh, one last thing before I go. Those of you listening to this as a podcast will already know that there is a podcast. But for those of you that don't know, this video log and the live Q&A get turned into a podcast. So if you are watching this on YouTube and you actually think, oh, actually, it would be much easier to listen to this as a podcast, then go ahead. You don't need to watch the video on YouTube, but you can find this on all of your podcast providers. Uh, just search for the Gaming Rules new podcast and hopefully you'll find them. If you, if you can't find them, let me know. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that these are turned into a podcast, so if you prefer to listen to them in that format, then you can. Right then, we're all done. Time to get this video edited, and then start preparing for Star Wars Day tomorrow. Take care, everybody. I'll see you next time. Bye-byes.